0: Father, as we open your word, I pray you'd open our hearts to all you want to say to us. Amen. Do you ever read the Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoons? There's one where little Linus is sitting watching the television and Lucy storms in and says, change the channel. And he says, well, who do you think you are to come in here and tell me what to do? Why can you do that? And she says, I can do it because of these five fingers, she says. Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together, (laughs) like this, into a single unit, they make a weapon that is terrible to behold. And Linus very meekly says, well, what channel do you want then? And then the last frame of the cartoon is Linus looking at his five fingers and saying, why can't you guys get together like that? Paul said, Tuesday begins the annual week of prayer for Christian unity, and that's the excuse Paul and I used to set up these pulpit swaps. So unity seemed like the obvious thing to speak about this morning. But not the aggressive unity of Lucy's fist, but unity amongst the people of God. And the basic question I want to ask is unity, why bother? Can't we just get on with serving in our own church or sometimes even our own little patch of our own church and just pray for the other people now and again, the seven days a year or whatever. There's a story about a group arriving in heaven and they're getting the guided tour from St. Peter and as they they go past this big tall wall and there's wonderful singing on the other side and St. Peter says, hush, the Pentecostals are on the other side. They think they're the only ones here. And and you can replace Pentecostals for Anglicans, Baptists, Free Church, Roman Catholic, whatever you want. The truth is that our history of Christian unity is sort of tinged with, well, I suppose that lot are Christian, but we're God's favorites. We do things the way God wants them done. And my claim is that not only can we, but we must do better than that. But why? Why bother? So I'm going to speak on on four little headings, really. First, we'll explore the importance of unity. Why does the Bible seem to bang on about it so much? Secondly, we'll look at what unity might look like. Third, the impact of unity. What happens if we have it? And finally, how do you bring it about? So we'll start with the importance of unity imagine people are sorting through the papers of the late Billy Graham and they come across his prayer diary and in it is a prayer that he has prayed for you specifically for the last decade of his life and for your ministry and they come across this and they think well we'd like to send it on so they send you a copy of this prayer and say Billy Graham for the last decade of his life prayed for your ministry with this prayer how would you feel Honored, probably. Well, in John's Gospel, chapter 17, we've got something better than that. Here's a prayer that the Lord himself prayed for us. Remember, this is just hours, maybe minutes before Jesus' arrest and trial. He knows what's coming. So he's only doing the very vital things. He's prayed for himself that he may glorify God. He's prayed for the apostles that they will be protected from Satan. And now John records, Jesus prays for us. So we're in John chapter 17 from verse 20. Remember these are Jesus' words. My prayer is not for them alone. He's referring to the apostles there. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and i am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me i've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one i in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me and in my church when we read the scriptures we make it clear by saying this is the word of the lord thanks be to god so jesus prays for those who will believe in him because of the apostles message it's a prayer of jesus for us. And what did he ask for? For health, for wealth, for gifts of evangelism, for growth in numbers? No, none of that. He prayed that we may be one with the Father and the Son and that we may be one with each other. That we may have unity. To use St. Paul's favorite description of a Christian, that we may be in Christ. Now, That's pretty obvious, really. If we're in Christ, as the picture is going to show you, why would we think it's okay to create disunity within Him? Inside a fellowship or between fellowships, or wider than that? And Jesus saw this as so important that it's the thing John records him praying for right at the end. In a sense, you could call it Jesus' dying wish for His church. And isn't that a wish, a prayer that we would want to take seriously? That our unity in him creates our unity with each other. Then he explains why it matters so much. Verse 23 says, as we're united with each other and united in him, so the world will understand who Jesus is. That our unity will show the world God's love for them. How Jesus was sent by the Father. So according to Jesus, that is what our unity will achieve. How much more important do you want it to get? The effectiveness of Jesus' continuing ministry on earth through his church is according to Jesus dependent not only on our unity with God but our unity with each other whether it's disunity it's not only a sad thing it not only grieves the heart of God it inhibits the growth of his kingdom rule now, we can sidestep our responsibility for that, say, well, that's about being different denominations and the kind of squabbles over doctrine that happen, and we don't get engaged with that. And there'll be some truth in it. It's not just a post Reformation thing. For the last 2,000 years, we've been squabbling about stuff. But that doesn't get us off the hook. Because the place where unity really matters is not just in synods and top level meetings. Doctrinal discussions. Where it really matters is here. Within local fellowships and between local fellowships. And each one of us has to take responsibility for that seriously. Literally, for the sake of the gospel, according to Jesus. Unity matters. It's important with a capital I. So secondly, what will unity look like? Well, of course it doesn't look like uniformity. God has not made us all the same. In our giftings, in our temperaments. St. Paul's one body with many parts analogy doesn't just work within fellowships, it works across the church. And we certainly won't always agree on everything. If Paul and I were to sit down and go through a whole load of church order or minor doctrinal issues, I'm sure we could create a good list of things where we interpret the scriptures differently. Unity will not mean uniformity. And I'm not saying that right doctrine doesn't matter, far from it. There are times where we have to say, well, that's not Christian belief as I understand it, and if that's what you think, that will inhibit our unity. Of course, there are times when that happens, but there aren't that many of them. I think they're really for core issues, things that affect salvation or maybe our own personhood. But I've realized over the years, often to my own astonishment, that Jesus seems willing to bless people who are different from me. Who'd have known? So at its most basic, I suggest that if we can say, Jesus is Lord, we can accept the authority of the Bible, the core beliefs of the historic creeds, then surely that will mean that our unity in Christ, the privilege we have, as Jesus describes it, of being one with the Father and the Son, is so overwhelmingly important to us that we can act as a loving whole. We can prefer each other. We can ask God's blessing on each other. Really ask God's blessing on each other. Someone I knew at Theological College 30-odd years ago had to face the reality of that. He was Californian ministering in this country. And and to him, a small church started at about 1,000 people. And that was just the way he thought. And for his first ministry lead, he was uh, given a church in West London of about 30 folks, completely outside his comfort range. But he was also given some fantastic leaders and you expected that church to grow pretty quickly. But one of the things the Lord said to him right at the start is work with the other churches because you will grow at the same pace they do. And he did that. And he worked with other churches and he used the great resources available to him and his team to help others too. And the churches in that area grew. And this... Friend of mine's church grew at the same pace as all the others. Now overall, I'm sure that growth for the kingdom was much greater than this. His church had crippled or quadrupled. But it was really quite humbling for him and not an easy journey. Unity sometimes has that kind of personal cost. He had the humility to go with it. And the exciting thing, I think, is that that what I call ground level unity is where the spirit seems to have been working for the last two, three decades maybe. Some of the things that Roy Crown and his team at Hope Together have worked on, have helped that. You know, giving people something to focus on together, to lift our heads from our own little church worlds into God's world. The sort of top-down unity that comes from big agreements um, is sort of dying. I used to be, as a very small corner of my brief in the Diocese Guildford, used to be responsible for those formal ecumenical agreements. I can tell you they are not worth the effort, the amount of paper you have to create. In contrast, Christians are working together at a local level like never before. Nobody under 40 knows what a denominational label is. And that's what I see the Spirit doing. He's working from the ground up. And that's how unity is happening now. It's not the big top-down agreements. i tell you firsthand, they really are a pain in the neck. And One of the joys about the way Revive is set up here in rugby is that we don't pretend to have much of a structure. We work on relationships, on cooperation. It is much messier than having a nice constitution. But isn't the kingdom of God usually like that? So what will unity look like? Well, frankly, it will often look pretty messy. But it will surely look like Christians not trying to build our own little kingdoms, but in love and trust and humility, preferring each other for the sake of God's kingdom rule. Thirdly, the impact. What's the impact of seeing this unity that Jesus prays for? Well, according to the Bible, it's startling. Paul quoted this at the start of the service. Psalm 133, that where there is unity, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And you will have read that prayer many times, probably said amen to it many times. But have we really taken it to heart? Because in the spiritual dynamics of the kingdom of God, as the kingdom breaks into this world, the biblical witness is that there seems to be something really important about Christians acting as one people that enables the spirit to work with power. Unity is to be treasured, it's to be nurtured, it's to be worked at, because we have an enemy who wants to disrupt it. Many of you know that Jane and I currently lead a church that's gone through huge disruption over the last decade. Some of you witnessed it firsthand. There were multiple reasons in the heavenly realms for that. There were multiple reasons in human behavior. I'm not going to go into any of that now. But one of the issues, I suggest, was that treasuring unity within the fellowship was not deeply in the DNA of the church. It had many other great qualities, but that treasuring unity wasn't deep in the DNA. And now the upside of that is that we've managed to strengthen all kinds of congregations all across rugby, and that's a good thing. But shuffling sheep between sheepfolds is a kind of zero-sum game for the kingdom. I don't think it was God's plan A. As my church knows to its cost, unity doesn't come automatically. You have to care about it deeply. You have to work at it. You have to pray about it if you want to see the blessing. So it's important, it looks like love and trust and it can have a huge impact on God's blessing upon a ministry, a town, a place. So finally, how do we bring it about? Well, there is a lovely long history of churches working together in this town for which I, as someone coming in, am hugely grateful. But how do we build on that? How do we look to a deeper unity than we've ever known? And at the heart of that answer, I suggest, is love. As St. Peter and St. John repeatedly said to the church, love, real love, must be at the heart of our relationships within a church and therefore between church fellowships too. It's not rocket science, is it? St. Peter put it this way, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And people will sin against you. Even here, in a lovely fellowship like this, it will happen. In relating between Christian communities, we will mess up. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need a saviour. But even more often than people sinning, and and in the prayers earlier, I think I had an echo of this, people will inadvertently do things that upset you. It will happen. Not deliberately, it's just about being in community. And we have a choice about how we react to those situations. St. Paul's advice to the church in Colossae was, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. For the times you sinned against, for the times you just irritated because someone did something inadvertently that's wound you up. And as we take that advice on board, as we let God's love touch us and overflow to others, as we can bear with the people who irritate us, as we can forgive those who sin against us, so something can special can happen both within and between churches. I'm going to illustrate that for you with a couple of balls. Two balls, red one, a black one. When things go wrong in churches and between Christians, between churches, it's like we drop the ball. And if we've not developed that deep unity, that deep care for unity that Christ calls us to, this is what will happen. For those who can't see, that's what's happened to your bull. It's just brittle. Sorry to clean and clean. But if we develop those sort of robust relationships that care about unity, that love and bear with each other, when we drop things and they go wrong, it bounces back and if we can meet that with repentance and and love and relationship building again we can bounce back higher than we started we need to be churches that are like this not the brittle ones because we will drop things and we will mess up at times we don't keep unity by pussyfooting around and being afraid to disagree with one another has been in meetings with me, he knows I tend to say what I think um, in the hope that if I'm wrong somebody can tell me I'm wrong and I can get it better we need to be honest and not be afraid to disagree with one another but do it with such love that when we disagree we can keep our unity because it matters to so much another way we can keep unity is realising we need one another we need people who are different from ourselves if we're to be God's whole. His whole balanced community across rugby. And that requires humility. You know, pride that kind of close belief closed belief that we're right, that our way of doing things is God's way. It's the destroyer of unity. Humility builds it. So across the Revived Network, as Paul said, we've identified that a lot of us are new. And we've got to invest in the relationship building, particularly between leaders, but wider than that. You know, we don't really need meetings and plans, we need parties. <laughs> and we're starting to do that. He's encouraging it. And it helps to have people like Ian and Chris with Use for Christ in the way their ministry cuts across the town, provides a source of unity. It helps to have things like Hope for that are born out of our unity. Activities can help, but real unity comes from attitudes, not activities. The activities are a bit of the fruit. Christian unity is not about just sharing activities, though that may happen. It starts with attitudes of love and of trust towards each other. Because the truth is very simple, and here's your one-line sermon that will make you wonder, why did he give me the previous 20 minutes? Jesus thinks there's only one church and he's in charge of it. Our job is just to get with the program. To accept the importance of unity, that it's Jesus' prayer for his church. To realize the amazing impact of unity and the blessing that God can bestow. And to choose to be a people who initiate unity. Through the way we love each other the way we react when we're irritated or sinned against and through choosing humility and ruthlessly putting to death the pride in us that let's be honest is in every one of us that knows we've got it a bit more god's way than the others and if those things continue to grow as part of who we are as the church in rugby i think the truth is there will be no limit As to what God could do amongst us. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would take our hearts. So fill them with love for our brothers and sisters around this town. That Jesus' body can be whole and can be at peace. That the world may see who he is.